Here is the little door. Lift up the latch, O oh lift. We need not wander more, but enter with our gift. Those words began a poem by Francis Chesterton, which moved me greatly when I first heard them sung to a setting by Herbert Howells. And incidentally, we will be able to hear that gorgeous anthem a week from today at 5 o'clock at Lessons and Carols. So let me read those opening words again. Here is the little door. Lift up the latch, O lift. We need not wander more, but enter with our gift. Inside the little door is, of course, of course, the Christ child. The poet imagines that we, like the Magi, might enter and offer him our treasures. Unlike the Magi, though, we hesitate. We wander around rather than daring to lift the latch, open the door, and experience Christ face to face. The poet knows us well. Why do we hesitate when we have the opportunity to encounter Christ directly at the manger or at the altar or when he comes again in glory? As with John the Baptist in today's gospel, doubt based on theological issues may lead us to keep our distance. This is understandable. God understands. We have these theological quandaries. Even John the Baptist, this cousin of Jesus, whom the Lord commended, naturally questioned what he had earlier proclaimed about Jesus as Messiah. After all, he was in prison, which didn't seem to go along with his idea of the new day that the Messiah would bring. But I think often there's more than that sort of thing that keeps us from entering the little door and encountering Christ. At bottom, I think most of us fear that we are unworthy to do so, that frankly, God might reject us because we're sinners. This especially might uh, be the case in Advent because we hear time and again about Jesus coming to judge the world. Today's epistle, in fact, declares that the judge, capital J, is at the doors. In last Sunday's gospel, John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers, accusing them of failing to measure up to God's standards and declaring that if they didn't start bearing fruit worthy of repentance, they would be cut down and thrown into the fire like an unfruitful tree. The Messiah John was announcing, he declared, would separate the wheat from the chaff, burning the chaff which, with unquenchable fire. Sounds pretty scary. Then later in today's chapter 11 of Matthew, Jesus seems to take up John's note of judgment, reproaching the towns of Galilee for not recognizing what God was doing in their very midst and declaring that they will not fare well on the day of judgment. More than once in Matthew's account, Jesus reminds us that just as a tree is known by its fruits, we can discern whether people are good or bad 
by the lives they live, by the fruit they bear. In chapter 12, soon after today's gospel, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, we will have to account for every careless word we utter. Yikes. <laughs> As if this weren't enough, the church's historic liturgies point frequently to Jesus coming as judge in both the apostles and the Nicene creeds. Uh, we hear that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. In the ancient collect for the first Sunday of Advent, which in the old days Episcopalians were supposed to say every day of Advent, we refer to the last day when Christ shall, quote, come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead. And then in the, the uh, canticle or song of praise known as the Te Deum, which uh, is sometimes used at the daily office of morning prayer, dating from the fourth century, by the way, we addressed Christ, we addressed Christ saying, we believe that thou shalt come to be our judge. There's no doubt <laughs> there about the, what, what the church believes. Ju judgment is a strong theme in both scripture and in our liturgy. No wonder then that we hesitate to approach Christ directly, either at the manger, at the altar, or on the day of judgment, because we all know that like the scribes and Pharisees, we are sinners. We are at times hypocrites. We are at times fruitless trees. This matters to God, certainly, but this is not the end of the story, thanks to the grace and mercy of God, which has been abundantly manifested to us in Jesus Christ, who told us that he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Here we see, as the old Anglican liturgy tells us, that while we in and of ourselves are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under God's table, God's property, love that word, God's essential characteristic is always to have mercy. Some people don't like that prayer. It seems too down on humanity, but I think it's great because it's up on God and what God can do with us. Therefore, because of this happy good news, we should not keep wandering, afraid to approach the throne of grace. We should not be afraid to offer, again as the old liturgy puts it, ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God because God in Christ makes us a worthy sacrifice, a worthy offering to God's glory in union with Christ's own offering. So we know if, if we offer ourselves in union with him, the offering's gonna get there and be accepted. The bottom line is that God could not love us more than God loves us right now and always has. It's not something we earn. It, it, it comes with the territory. It's the nature of God. God in Christ does what it takes to bring us, again quoting scripture, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we can begin to see the logic behind calling this third Sunday of Advent Gaudete Sunday, which means rejoice Sunday. And so we, we light the pink candle on the Advent wreath, which symbolizes the light of Christ drawing very near to us, and we rejoice in that just as the Magi did uh, rejoice 
with exceeding great joy. Once we know, and by the way, we also have the joy banner here, which I love. We don't get to put that out many Sundays, but this is the, this is the joy day. Well, every, every day is really. But, <laughs> but once we know that we will be very welcome guests when we enter Christ's door, we especially rejoice in being less than two weeks away from the celebration of Christ's coming the celebration of God taking on our flesh on our behalf, the celebration of God coming to make God's home with us as one of us. Wow. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus does issue stern warnings, as we mentioned, and we should pay attention to those. But he also urges us to come into his loving, saving presence, no matter who we are or what we have been. After the, um, after the calling of Matthew, the tax collector in this gospel, Jesus is criticized for eating with sinners, to which he responded that those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. He tells his critics, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Isn't that good news? That means us, folks. <laughs> At the end of today's chapter, Jesus utters the famous words which only Matthew records, Come to me, all who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come on. <laughs> Coming into the Lord's presence is therapeutic. As when visiting any good doctor, it may not be easy, that visit with Christ, that encounter. God, after all, is the one to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. God knows everything anyway, right? But knowing God's nature, which is love, and God's mercy, which is infinite, we can come safely and comfortably into God's presence, mind, body, and spirit, knowing that he and Christ will not reject us. In this context, it is good news that the one who baptizes us with the Spirit is, as John the Baptist tells us, the one who separates the wheat from the chaff, putting the wheat into the granary and burning, burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire sounds scary, but actually there are things that need to be burned up and, you know, we'll be the better for it. God in Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit, will work on us, fostering what is good in us and purging what is bad to bring us to the fullness of his peace and glory. That's what we pray for, among other things, when we baptize somebody in that service. We say, bring him or her to your peace and glory. And that's where we're all going. <laughs> um, through grace, we get there. Brother Keith Nelson of the Society of St. John the Evangelist compares the Lord's approach to us to that of a gardener tending plants. He says, Jesus' fundamental stance is to wait, to tend, 
to apply therapeutic rather than punitive measures to favor time and fertilizer over the axe. This is the love of the gardener. So there's no need to run. There's no need to be afraid. I love this in the Isaiah passage. Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Or in the old language, behold your God. Don't be afraid. He, he is, could not be more loving and welcoming. So we don't need to wander around. We can enter the little door with confidence, with the gifts we have to bring. Because as the letter to the Hebrews tells us, he who has promised is faithful. There is no better news than that, my friends. On this Rejoice Sunday and in the coming Christmas season, we are called to take this to heart, this good news, as never before, and to proclaim it in all that we say and do.